I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And a quick reminder that you can follow us at Pod. And by the way, if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas you want to share, tweet right at us. Now let's get on with the show. If my Republican colleagues refuse to even consider witnesses and documents in this trial, this country is headed towards the greatest cover-up since Watergate. That was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer grappling with a stark reality. The impeachment trial of Donald John Trump is coming to its inevitable conclusion. By Friday morning, the vote for calling John Bolton and other witnesses to testify about what they knew about President Trump's conduct was doomed to failure. The outcome became fully apparent Thursday night when, after much suspense, Senator Lamar Alexander, one of a handful of moderates who could have made the difference, released a statement saying that even though the president's behavior was, as he put it, inappropriate, and even though he concluded the House managers had proved their most essential charge, that Trump had withheld military aid to Ukraine, at least in part, to pressure the country to investigate the Bidens, it didn't matter. There was, he said, no need for more evidence in the case. Why not? Because the president's actions, Alexander said, do not meet the high constitutional standards for impeachment. Let the voters decide what to make of Trump's behavior, Alexander concluded. Is this, as Schumer alleges, a Watergate-style cover-up, or the all-too-predictable end to an impeachment process that was partisan and never had any real chance of removing Trump from office? We'll talk with Mike Murphy, one of Alexander's former political advisors, and we'll dissect the Senate trial with a special impeachment panel on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So I gotta say, I was on pins and needles Thursday night, glued to my TV, waiting to hear what Lamar Alexander was going to say. I was in my hotel room, yep. uh, and John Ward, our correspondent who was actually in the chamber, was just texting me, you know, yeah. Lamar Alexander, this dramatic moment, he sends this note to McConnell, yeah. um, and uh, McConnell doesn't react at all, just sort of puts it on his, on his lap. And at that point, the thinking was that the hope was, among Democrats for sure, was that Lamar Alexander had sent him a note saying that he was going to be in favor of calling yeah, you know, I That was read, what everyone kind of thought. I read that account, and they made a point of uh, McConnell, quite the cool customer, looks at the note, puts it in his lapel, doesn't look at Alexander, which suggested to me, wow, maybe Alexander's going to cross him, and his old buddy Lamar was not as dependable as he had hoped. 
But um, McConnell, I guess he's pretty good at the old deadpan, huh? And uh, probably knew where things were headed. And then, of course, uh, and I suspected this, if you listen closely to those questions on Thursday night, Murkowski joined a question that raised some serious doubts about whether the trial should proceed with witnesses. And then... Uh, And so that, you know, gave a hint that she was not going to hold the line as well. Right, uh, which she didn't. And as we sit here on on Friday recording this, she just put out a statement saying that she was not going to support witnesses and that put the nail in the coffin because if she had voted for witnesses, you could have had a 50-50 tie In all likelihood, the uh, chief justice would not have broken that tie, but there are certainly Democrats that hoped he might have. So it probably would have died anyway. But but look, the real danger here for Trump and the Republicans and and McConnell is that details are going to continue to dribble out. John it's already Bolton, happening. Yeah, John Bolton will tell his story. His book is coming out in March, uh, you know, barely a month from now or six weeks from now. And, you know, he's going to be out there on a book tour doing every TV show, and this is going to be front and center, and he will talk about what the president said to him. And we know now from the New York Times story that just published today that all the way back in May, in an Oval Office meeting, the president, according to Bolton's account, or at least according to the New York Times account of Bolton's account, the president in a meeting with Mick Mulvaney, with Giuliani, and Mm -hmm. interestingly, with Pat Cipollone, yeah. uh, one of the, the defense lawyers. That was that, quite the wrinkle well, let's that get, Cipollone himself was there. Was there when Trump, according to this account, directed Bolton to call the call Zelensky, Zelensky the, and the, tell him to meet with Giuliani. And Giuliani was totally public about why he was going to Ukraine. He said to get the Ukrainians to do investigations of the Bidens. You know, one of the really uh, remarkable things about all this is you go back, there's a, a New York Times story on May 9th that Ken Vogel writes about Giuliani's planned trip to Kiev. And that the purpose was all about getting the Ukrainians to do these investigations. So the basic scheme here, the pressure campaign, was public as early weeks of May. It was known. Am I right about this? But my recollection is... When that story came out and people started writing about it, Giuliani actually then canceled the trip. That's right. The he trip. canceled the trip. So but they knew that yeah. they were getting caught. They, they knew they, that they there knew was a problem with this. And and the basic outline of the scheme was there, was fully public. The only question was to what degree was Trump himself directly involved. Now, Giuliani is Trump's lawyer. <laughs> He's only going there in his capacity as Trump's lawyer. So one can assume that his lawyer is not going to be flying thousands of miles to a foreign country to meet with a foreign leader without informing his client, the president of the United States. You know, it'll be interesting to see that that Bolton account and see if there's anything more in there about what happened in that meeting, because one of the main arguments uh, that, from the Republicans during the impeachment trial was that, okay, he may have he, he may have uh, asked for investigations into his rival, but he had other cons- Trump had other considerations. He was concerned about burden sharing. Why should just the Americans have to pay for military assistance? What about the Europeans? What have they done? Or he was concerned about 
other yeah. corruption going on in Ukraine. Well, it sounds to me like this meeting back in May with Bolton and the rest of them was about one thing and one thing only, which is go talk to Zelensky, get him to talk to Giuliani about investigating the right. Bidens, right? right? So right. that context is important. And as you say, this stuff coming out after the uh, Republicans shut down any documents, any witnesses, you know, that is a problem. And then you find out that their own lead defense lawyer is in on the meeting himself yeah, in Pat Cipollone. I mean, the guy it who's been a- saying there, who's been leading the Trump defense saying there's no direct testimony that the president was directly linking investigations to withheld military aid. And you have Cipollone who was a party to at least one of the key conversations about this pressure now, campaign. Now, we have oh. to say that Giuliani, I think he came out and he denied that this meeting took place, that he was there, that uh, Mulvaney was there, whatever. I imagine, you know, John Kelly might come forward and say once again, I believe John Bolton <laughs> yeah, right. over Rudy Giuliani. So in terms of a, a credibility. And, uh, you know, and we should point out there's nothing to stop. Adam Schiff or other House committees from subpoenaing John Bolton after the trial is over and conduct oversight, which is what congressional committees, uh, you know, uh, always have done about uh, when there's allegations of presidential misconduct. And at this point, it seems it would be very hard for uh, and it doesn't seem that he even wants to for Bolton to say, well, no, I'm, I'm going to let the White House uh, assert executive privilege. He can. He's got a book coming out. He's got a book, right, exactly. He's got a book coming out. So, you know, I guess the question is, once this is formally over and the trial is done and Trump has been acquitted, how much appetite will there be in the House and um, among the public for continued investigations into this incident? And I think that's an open question. Well, what we've said all along about these kinds of investigations is I think as long as there are new revelations, as long as there is new information I think the public will have an appetite for it. Which and they're not going to. I don't even have an appetite for you know these guys on both sides arguing about the facts that we already know. The right. country is sick of that and needs to move on from that. But new facts will make a difference. And we will pledge to you to uh, cover and dissect those new facts um, on Skullduggery. But let's get on with what we got today because we got plenty to talk about. All right. For our first guest, we have with us Mike Murphy, Republican strategist and a longtime advisor and friend of Lamar Alexander. Mike, welcome back to Skullduggery. Hey, good to be here. Let's let's dug some skulls. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, so I know that you, like everybody else, was waiting to hear what Lamar Alexander was going to do on the crucial witness issue. Everybody was up late last night um, waiting for his statement, and then it came down. What went through your mind when you heard what he had to say? I was disappointed because I thought he should vote for more witnesses, not because I take his logic about more witnesses, you know, reinforcing what we already know to be true, which was a bit of a concession. Uh, He's not on the White House talking point there. But Bolton is such a critical witness, (coughs) excuse me, that I think it's kind of crazy not to not to put him into that situation. So I was disappointed with his uh, with his remark, to say the least. 
I will say that he, he crafted it in a very Lamar way, which was, you know, I didn't need to hear witness to know what I already know is true and bad. Now, I'll be surprised if he actually follows through on that with impeachment because he indicated it wasn't bad enough for impeachment, which leads me to wonder what is. So I, I would I would mark myself down as uh, flat with disappointment. Did you think there was anything uh, sort of mildly contradictory about the statement in the sense that, you know, yes, I, we already know what they did. They proved their case. The House managers proved their case. But the big part of it was, well, we're 10 months from an election. Voting is about to begin. Um, you know, that's how these things ought to be. This thing ought to, ought to be decided. But then let's keep the information away from the American people. I mean, Bolt, what Bolton has written in this book uh, seems highly relevant to any decision that voters yeah. are going are gonna to make. Well, they have access to the book, but I take your point. It was a little too clever by half. What I didn't like about it was it makes the case, I guess, that the election trumps impeachment, no pun intended. So I guess impeachment criteria is dependent on how many months away from an election we are, which I think maybe is a minor factor, but can't be the determining one. And yeah, they ought to, they ought to have the testimony to help make a decision. But I think the subtext of it is the, decision, the thing's fixed, so the decision's done, so end the fixed show. It it, it, to me, kind of dodges the point of why should it be fixed? You all took an oath. To what extent do you think his relationship with McConnell factored in here, just loyalty? Well, they've been close for a long time, and I thought his logic was a little tortured, and maybe McConnell was the torturer. But, look, the thing is, uh, I, my, you know, and I haven't talked to him about this. I've kind of avoided the subject, and he knows where I am. But he's the one who's on the ballot, got elected. It's his call. Lamar's not been afraid to be a bit of a maverick in his career. So it's hard for me to accept him as a weather vane uh, or, a, or a toady for the leadership. He actually got off the leadership because I think he didn't really enjoy that job. He wanted to work in a bipartisan manner. So for all those reasons, it is discordant for me to think that he just folded to McConnell. But, you know, for whatever reason, he made a decision that uh, I find quite disappointing. So we, we should point out that you were a consultant to Alexander when he ran for president in 95 and 96 and previously in his first Senate campaign. And, I, you know, when we first talked about this a week or so ago, uh, you know, you pointed out that, uh, you know, Lamar Alexander had been a aide to Howard Baker, who, you know, famously broke with Richard Nixon over Watergate, and that when he first became governor of Tennessee, it was to clean up a scandal about the selling of pardons from his Democratic predecessor. I think you're making the point that he did have a, a history of trying to do the right thing, of acting in politics with a conscience, and this would seem to not be in accord with that. Yeah, I find it discordant, but, you know, that's only he can see his career. I, uh, I was surprised. Uh, that's all I can really tell you. Yeah. So let's talk about McConnell uh, a bit. Uh, we were uh, talking earlier among ourselves. McConnell is this sort of new master of the Senate, as much a, a dominant force as LBJ was uh, in his day. And, uh, you know, the two most memorable and notorious moments of his Senate majority leadership tenure was blocking Merrick Garland from getting a vote to be on the Supreme Court and now basically saving Donald Trump's ass. Which will he be remembered for most? Trump, I think. Uh, he has put his talents to work 
to that end because I think he's somehow, I think he's making a, a mistake here, assumes that politically that'll help him hold on to the majority. And I'll say in defense of Mitch that he believes holding on to the majority is important for ideological reasons. He's a committed conservative. It's just he's clearly able to uh, uh, twist and contort himself into remarkable positions in that aim. And it might be a classic case of uh, uh, forgetting uh, about the morality of the ends to a trying to justify a distant mean, mostly conservative judges on the court, which is what his majority was partially elected to do. But, you know, this thing, uh, he'll be he'll be known as the uh, the cleanup guy for Donald Trump. But, Mike, why do you did I hear you say that you don't think that uh, this strategy that he that he took on on Trump and impeachment that he, it won't help him hold on to the majority. Is that what you no, said? I, I think I think for a bunch of reasons, and this being one step forward, the Republicans are going to lose more seats than they gain in the election cycle, and they could even lose the majority despite a very favorable map. Cory Gardner allegedly, at least according to press reports, stood up in the conference lunch and said, you know, don't do witnesses. The sooner this is over, the better it is for me in a tough state. I think that was a stupid point of view, but, you know, Cory's, and I'm a former Cory donor. He won't get a dime out of me now, but he, um, I think he gets to lose on his own terms, and I think he probably will lose. I think McSally is very likely to lose in Arizona. I think Susan Collins is likely to lose. So, you know, the nobody who is endangered in the Republican caucus profited by adopting the tactics of a Stalin show trial. So how does this election year? So how does this play out for Democrats, uh, for those who are running in 2020? And well, they're all running in the House, but also in the Senate and for the whoever the presidential nominee is. Well, in those states where Trump is unpopular, you just chain the senators to him. There's no independence. Cory Gardner is a rubber stamp for Donald Trump. So when you're when you're thinking about the presidential race, just decide if you want a mini-me representing us in the Senate. Uh, it really glues them together. And Cory is somebody who in his career has had some success by showing a certain amount of independence. Well, he that's up in flames now. He uh, He's willing literally to, you know, uh, subvert the process to defend the narrow political interest of an unfit president. Okay, go run for re-election in Colorado on that. Because that was going to be a very hard Velcro suit to get out of, and uh, they they locked it in. You know, they pushed it to the max. They did it. Now, do I think on election day most voters are going to care about what they see as a typical Washington Beltway food fight? No, but I think any claim in those purple states that those senators have to have any kind of independent point of view is is up in smoke now. What about in the presidential? I mean, it, how big of a factor do you think this uh, is going to be? In the um, when voters go to the polls in November, I think midsize. It's a classic Washington thing. What 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 the journalism world and the Beltway opinion world often forget is what is the daily fascination to them is boring to the rest of the country. They think everybody does it. You you go to a Trump supporter now and say, "Aren't you outraged? He leaned on the Ukrainians." And in politics, because perception is reality, they're saying, "No, Hillary would have done the same thing." They all do it. It's the pervasive cynicism we've created in politics. So I do think Democrats who didn't like Trump before don't like him even more now, but they only get to vote once. I do think it'll be a great bloody shirt for the Democrats to wave to help energize their side for turnout. And presidential turnout's already very high, but the lesson the Republican Party keeps learning the hard way in non-off-year elections, in on-year elections where a lot of people vote, is there are more Democrats than Republicans. 
So I think from an energy point of view, it's a net win to the Democrats. And from an ancillary point of view, Congress people and senators who are often expected to show a little bit of independent thinking, that got wiped out. So net-net is better for the Democrats, but I don't believe it's the deciding issue of the election. We don't know what that'll be yet. We have some campaign yeah. left. So, yeah, so speaking of the election, and we, I know we got to let you go in a couple of minutes, uh, voting begins on Monday. So yeah. how does Iowa look to you uh, right now? Bernie has been surging. Biden's hanging in there. Those are two very different polls of the Democratic Party. What's your take on uh, on what's going what's gonna to happen? Well, you know, it's funny. Most of the conventional wisdom on this stuff is driven by the public polls that come out every day. And the problem is nothing is harder to do right now than poll Iowa. There's going to be a final register poll out over the weekend, which will cause a lot of, you know, pontification. But the reason it's so hard to poll right now is if you're on the Iowa caucus voting list or even somebody who's expressed an interest in it, your phone's ringing off the hook 24-7. People are literally unplugging their phones. So even with the way we do polling now, which is a hybrid between cell phones, the Internet, for younger voters particularly, and uh, and landline phones, it's harder and harder to get a sample. So I, I'm, I, I would step back from all that. You've got four candidates of real strength, Buttigieg, Warren, Biden, and Bernie. And Bernie has, over the last 10 weeks, been doing better, while Elizabeth Warren, who competes for some of the same votes, has been doing worse. So it is possible on election night that Bernie will come in first in number of votes. They're going to report that and delegates because it's a complicated formula, as you guys know. But Bernie might have an enthusiasm surge and in some caucus sites get a limited number of delegates but have a huge number of bodies, which will cook the first reported overall kind of primary-like return. So I think Bernie is going to have a good night. I don't know if that's first place, second, or third, but I think he's going to do well. I think Biden... And some of the polls looks good, but again, that's because the people who are easiest to get on the phone right now are older, and that's his constituency. So I, I, I think the question for me is, can Biden make the top two and survive and then have a foil, probably Bernie, but we don't know for sure, into New Hampshire? That clarifies the race. Or will a Buttigieg or even a Warren appear and beat Biden into third place? And if you're the early front runner and you fall into third that is a devastating blow. And if he can't recover a week later in New Hampshire, the Biden campaign could really hit the rocks. If he's top two in both places, his advantages with the African-American vote in South Carolina uh, coming later in the month uh, may put him on a path to the nomination. So I'm watching Biden if he falls out of the top two. That and, I think is the most important thing that could or couldn't happen. And under the Biden stumbles, uh, Bloomberg uh, could be a big factor? Yeah, I mean, if Bernie comes out of Iowa on fire and does well in New Hampshire, so the race starts to boil down to somebody against Bernie, and Biden fails by finishing third in one of those two or both of those contests to be the somebody, then that's an opportunity for Buttigieg. It's also an opportunity for Bloomberg, who is hoping for the perfect storm based on that scenario. And he's been creeping up in polls. Uh, we have a poll out today from USC where he's up at 10%, I think, for the first time. So he's there, but he needs no Biden. You know, Bloomberg is another old white guy. I think he's got a hell of a case to run on, but I'm not sure if the Democratic electorate is looking for that. The energy does seem to be on the left right now with Bernie. 
But, you know, it'll be we're, we're know a lot more about what's going on in one week and a hell of a lot more in two weeks. Well, uh, we will have uh, skullduggeries uh, next week, the week after and all the weeks to come. And we will have you back uh, to see. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I love doing it. Can I plug the thing I do over in the podcast? Go right Universe, ahead. Shamelessly Abs- here. And absolutely. I promise to plug you guys, too. I talk about this stuff every week. We come out most Tuesdays on Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and I. Two old friends bloviating about politics and what's really going on in the campaign. We love Hacks on Tap, and it's heartwarming that uh, you're still a Republican, right? That you and Axelrod are are such good friends. We've been friends since uh, forever. We used to run campaigns against each other and trade back and forth the Iowa Governorship Cup. Uh, But yeah, I'm still Republican because I figure I've got to fight it from the inside. I'm not a left winger, but boy, it's hard these days. All right, I'm going to be Republican. (laughs) Mike, I'm going to be listening listening for the skullduggery plug. So it'll be there. All right, deliver. All right, thanks Thanks so much. All right, thank you guys. Bye Bye bye. Okay, and now to talk about the Senate trial, we have our special panel, Redux, Saul Weisenberg, uh, former deputy independent counsel to Ken Starr uh, during the Whitewater and Monica Lewinsky investigations, and Matt Miller, former chief of public affairs at the Justice Department under then Attorney General Eric Holder. Saul and Matt, welcome back to Skullduggery. Happy to be here. Likewise. All right. So, uh, Saul, let's start out with you. Uh, You're a former federal prosecutor, current defense lawyer. Have you ever been involved in criminal trials where there were no witnesses? Oh, sure. Really? Um, Well, from the defense perspective, yes, absolutely. How how about as a prosecutor? (laughs) Uh, No, no. No. You you never put on a case in which there were no witnesses. I, I would say that's a, a definite yes. I never did. And if, <laughs> and if the defense wanted witnesses, they would always be able to get witnesses in criminal trials. Uh, yes, that tr- that's true. And I think there was a statement made by Mr. Philbin, uh, who I think generally has been quite good, particularly on some of the, the obstruction of justice points, that uh, you always talk to all your witnesses before they uh, – or, or you, you have already – Vetted? No, it was more than that. It was like the – you know what your witnesses are going to say, or the witnesses have gone on, have, have already testified before you call them, something like that. Well, in this particular and, case, they did not <coughs> want to know what the only witness who might have actually appeared uh, had to say, and that's John Bolton. Well, my point, I guess my, my point was that in answer to the first question, uh, that's certainly not true in criminal trials. It may be that in civil trials, you know, you take depositions so you know what everybody's going to say. But in the average criminal trial in this country, you do not know. <laughs> And sometimes you're surprised by what your witness is going to say. Depositions are not a typical part of criminal trials in this country, except in Florida. But you, although you do have grand jury testimony that you could refer to. So I guess sort of bottom line is how unusual, unorthodox uh, is it that this trial is going to end without any witness testimony? Well, I think it's as a, a question of either normal criminal law, civil law, and impeachment law and precedent, it is, it is unusual. The statement that there has never been a trial, impeachment trial, without witnesses is wrong. In fact, the very first impeachment trial was dismissed on jurisdictional grounds. And, um, but it, not in, in presidential impeachment. They that's true. Right. Right. Well, look, the issue, the, the only issue only had two is, presidents 
impeached. So yeah. come on. <laughs> the, the, the issue here is there was a factual dispute. The House managers alleged that the president conditioned the military aid on his demand for investigations. The president's lawyers in his defense said there was no direct testimony to that effect. And then you had this witness who's written a book, potential witness who's written a book alleging precisely so we are led to believe what the House managers said, or at a minimum could have shed light on resolving this dispute, and the witness is not allowed to testify. Is this going to look to the world, to history, to the public, to the voters as a cover-up, Matt? Of course it is. I mean, it's not, look, it's a farce that John Bolton is not there testifying. He's obviously a relevant witness. And unlike the other witnesses, Mick Mulvaney and some of the OMB officials, where the Republicans, I think, make, a, you know, it's at least a legitimate process point that subpoenaing them doesn't mean you get them here next week. The president could take it to court. He could claim executive privilege. They aren't willing witnesses. The president really could keep them from coming for some time, I, I believe. There's some dispute about that, but I think that's, that's probably true. With John Bolton, you send him a subpoena. He will be there, and he will, right. he, he will testify. I think the only reason he's not testifying is because Republicans don't want to hear what he has to say, and more, well, more so, they don't want the public to hear what 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 he has to say. And I, I I think to your point, they have decided what is the lesser of two political evils. It is it is the lesser political evil for them to acquit the president and have John Bolton say what he's going to say later when his book comes out and he goes on a book tour than it is to have him say it now to the Senate and then cast a vote to acquit. Either one looks bad for them. Right. They, you know, they kind of decided, it's because right. they've decided already to acquit, and so they're kind of reverse engineering this, and I think they've just decided the cover-up after the fact looks worse than the cover-up right now. You know, the, the, in retrospect, you know, was it a tactical mistake for the House to withdraw that subpoena for Charles Kupperman? Because I, it seems to me, you know, I, I've heard Adam Schiff say time and again, well, it would have taken months and months, if not years of li not legal battles. Not necessarily at all. But the point is that they didn't have to put impeachment on hold. You could have still impeached him while you were pursuing in court that subpoena. I have my own theories about as to why they withdrew it, but it, it does not logically follow from it was going to take a long time in court to therefore pull the subpoena I, entirely. I, I think it's very hard to know. I, I think that's a, a legitimate point that they could have pressed forward in court with the subpoena. Uh, and it's possible they would have had a, a final determinative ruling by now, but I'm not sure that's the case. They would have probably had a ruling from the district court. And then it's still left in Bolton's hands because the, the White House might have appealed. They all certainly would have appealed if they lost. Yeah. And I, I, I think it, at some point, it doesn't really matter because the arguments you're getting from Republican senators on, on the other hand, yeah. on the other side, are all in bad faith. They're yeah. not real legitimate arguments. Yeah. So they would have come up with another reason to yeah, but, oppose But just, just to button You're all looking that. at motives. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, look, but look, just to buttonhole the point, you know, Schiff last night was saying, well, we suggested that the, uh, the subpoena for government be governed by the ruling in the McGahn case. Of course they wanted that because the McGahn case was before a Democratic yeah, sure. judge. 
challenge Judge Jackson. They knew they were going to get a favorable ruling there. The Kupperman case to which Bolton was attached was before Judge Leon, a Republican judge, and they feared that if if Leon ruled against them, even though he, you remember he had set an accelerated uh, briefing schedule. If he had ruled against them, that would have totally undercut Article you, 2. There would might. have been no Article 2 if the only well, I, judicial you know. ruling was, no, the uh, in favor of the president's position. Well, I, I think they may have feared a delay and they may have feared an adverse ruling. But the argument that this would have been tied up in court, uh, I think, is is ridiculous. There would have been – I mean, when when the Senate is acting – and when the House is acting, when either branch is acting, uh, either body is acting as an impeachment, either inquiry or court, you were talking about the height of congressional power. And there is historical precedent, not case precedent, some precedent for the idea that executive privilege doesn't even apply in that context. And I think the idea that the courts wouldn't do everything possible to expedite it I think is wrong. And Leon was already moving to expedite it. And and Bolton had said, I will abide by that. Even if I'm not a party, I will abide by his ruling. And McGahn is, I mean, you have a really cynical view about why they <laughs> why they didn't do that. <laughs> McGahn is a different issue, right? Job. That wasn't that that was strictly the absolute immunity. I know that's part of what Copperman was, but also that wasn't part of the impeachment inquiry. And again, I, I believe that uh, executive privilege would have lost virtually any privilege loses in the context of an impeachment uh, of an impeachment inquiry or trial. So I and I think in a way you're talking about two different things. I, I will say historically, let's assume that this ends pretty soon. We know the president's not going to be convicted anyway. I believe that the way the House handled this, the way Speaker Pelosi handled it in terms of when she started the inquiry and that the fact that when she did start it, she did it by a press conference, which is just an absolute joke. I believe she will be judged harshly. But these procedural issues, whether or not they were incompetent, whether or not the subpoenas really had any authority, I don't, I don't think they did. That's different than some of the other issues we're raising, which is whether or not, what are the, you know, what do the Republicans have to hide? Why aren't they putting these witnesses on? And something that you haven't talked about uh, that all lawyers face is you're stuck with the client that you have. This client said, no, this client said from the beginning, it was a perfect phone call. Yeah. Well, to me, I mean, that's preposterous. There's not, a, there's not a human being in this town who believes that in, in their heart well, of hearts. Well, we, we, we had Robert Ray on, yeah. on the podcast uh, last week, and we asked him this very question. And I asked him specifically, you know, is it a problem to have someone like Donald Trump as your client? He dodged that question. But he did acknowledge to us that it was not a, a perfect phone call. I kind of wonder why sort the of. lawyers didn't do that um, when they were yeah, arguing well, their it's, case. It's, because, you see, you got to distinguish between the lawyers, some of whom have said— and I do agree with Bob. You can take the position, if Bolton says everything he says he was going to say, that he has indicated he's going to say, doesn't matter. This is not enough to remove a president. I think that's a strictly legal argument you can make. The problem is President Trump said it's a perfect call, and so it's the senators. I mean, they, he's obviously told them the word has gone down. I don't want any evidence in, factual evidence, that's contradictory to my perfect call 
defense. Yeah. Well, it, it's going to be interesting to see now that um, Lamar Alexander, when in deciding that he was not going to vote for witnesses, he put out a statement in which he said that the conduct was bad conduct. He was pretty harsh. Right. Whether that is now going to give, give cover to other Republicans to do the same thing and that when they vote, you know, and they'll be voting for acquittal, uh, whether you, you'll get a lot more Republicans acknowledging that. And if they do, Matt, just as a political question, what is the impact of that politically for, uh, for Trump? I think you're going to see all of them kind of twist themselves into pretzels in the statements they put out. You already saw Lisa Murkowski put out a statement today yeah. that was like the most, was the, pers- it's the most nihilist Wait. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> nothing <laughs> matters, really. The, the Congress <laughs> is broken. It's almost like I'm not a member of Congress. It, it made no sense. I'm going to read this yeah, here. It says, right. given the, por- uh, the partisan nature of this impeachment from the very beginning and throughout, I have come to the conclusion that there will be no fair trial in the Senate. I don't believe that the continuation of this process will change anything. And so therefore, therefore, we're not going to allow witnesses, documents, evidence, because... Yeah. Marco it's Rube, not fair. And, I mean, and Marco Rubio. Is that a tautology? That, What's yeah. a tautology? Is it <laughs> what his statement, his statement was. Itself. It was kind yeah. of along okay. the lines of the point you were making, but except without acknowledging it was. It was not a perfect call. He just said, "Just for my decision, I would assume if even if you assume that everything is right, without actually, oh, yeah. say, but well, 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 actually, true, without actually Alexander saying went beyond it that. He, he did. said he there abs- is no need for more evidence to prove the president asked Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his son. He said this on television. He said it during the July 25th call. There is no need for more evidence to conclude the president withheld U.S. aid, at least in part, to pressure invest to investigate I, the Bidens. I, I think if more Republican senators said that, it would have some something of a political impact, but I don't think most of them will. I think you will see most of them end up with kind of like this Rubio statement that is yeah. kind of twisted right. into this, this what I call pre- pretzel logic. Right. And you, 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 it's just because, I mean, Republicans just don't want to cross him. And you see all of the strange things that flow from that. The, the craziest argument I thought this week, the one, you know, when, when Dershowitz and Philbin to a lesser extent got so much attention for this argument about motive, and Philbin's argument was not as aggressive as Dershowitz's, but it was, you know, if, if the, if the, I'm going to simple, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's, if the president had two motives, one right. legitimate, one political, give me a break. Does anyone think the president actually had a legitimate yeah, motive? Yeah. He just didn't talk and, about and, trying to parse and, and figure out what percentage. On, the president's motives were 100% inappropriate. <laughs> he had no he had no legitimate all, motive here, and everybody knows that. All they needed was one witness to come forward and said, yeah, the president said he's withholding the aid because he's concerned about burden sharing, or he yeah. raised the that, burden that. sharing, or he raised general corruption. If they had Mulvaney or Pompeo or well, Esper, well, he did raise. Anybody, he did raise. I mean, he had been raising burden sharing. The question is, what, did that really did did that matter a whit in in why right. you Look, know why how, he's but, doing? But he raised def- burden sharing. He had never previously raised corruption that's, in Ukraine. That's true. Or, no, right. he raised it on he raised burden sharing on the call on with the Zelensky. Phone call. But but the point of the House of the Trump's defense lawyers was, yeah. But there's no discussion about the withheld military aid on that phone call. So. Right. Therefore, you know, the burden, sh- you can't link, if you can't they want link the request to the, to the Bidens to the withheld military aid, you can't link from the phone call transcript the uh, burden sharing issues to the withheld military aid. Oh, yeah, look, and I, and I disagree that he, I think he did talk about corruption in Ukraine, too. It just doesn't matter we, because the whole series of events, not just the phone call, shows that this was about harming uh, Joe Biden's electoral chances, whether or not he should, whether or not. You know, he did something sleazy uh, or didn't tell his son to stop doing something sleazy. We all know why. Uh, you know, we all know it. We've seen the sequence of events. 
And so I think from the beginning, I, I firmly believe that, uh, first of all, you're stuck with what you charge. And in, uh, a prosecutor is stuck with what his indictment says. The House is stuck with the articles that they propose. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the corruption part of Mueller's report because they made a political decision. We're not going to do that. We're not going to investigate that as part of an impeachment. And the fact is, I believe that these are not enough to remove they're impeachable because they've impeached him on it. But these are not enough to remove a sitting president, elected president, 10 minutes before, uh, 10 months before an election. I believe that. But the rest of it, you can take that position complete, and completely say the president's full of it. Okay, <laughs> We obviously know he's, he's lying. Yeah. So, so I, com I obviously, I, mean, I probably obviously completely disagree with your position, but I think it's a, it's a completely legitimate one to hold. I think the problem for Republican senators in taking that position, if you come out and say what the president did was completely inappropriate, that also means he's been lying about it, and he's been lying about it all throughout, and his all the people that work for him uh, lied about it. But it's not reason to remove him because we're in election year. Doesn't it logically follow that you then have to oppose his reelection? If you, if you think this <laughs> well, was all completely inappropriate does, and corrupt it, and he's been yeah, lying about yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, but, but the point but, is, but the point is the they don't have to, but I, they don't have to, number one, they can say it was a mistake and he's, you know, and he's lying about it, but he's better than all the alternatives. But you don't, you don't have to go, you don't have to say, if you're a Republican, you don't have to say, uh, I believe the call was wrong. I don't think it hurts if you do. You just have to say, look, it's like you do in a civil and criminal case cases. All right, we've heard the evidence. The government puts on its evidence in a criminal case. I make a Rule 29 motion, you know, to acquit saying even if everything they said is true, it's not enough to go forward in this case. They could have just done it that way, and I think they were kind of— Well, Saul, do, do you think this is, a, this is a case where kind of reasonable people can disagree about whether to impeach and remove or not, or do you think Trump has been treated unfairly? Well, it depends on what— what part of it you're talking about. I mean, I think when I first looked, for example, at the abuse of power article, when I saw the letter from Cipollone, I thought that, I thought that article was much stronger than, uh, sorry, did I say abuse of power? I meant article two, the obstruction. That's obstruction, obstruction. of Congress. When I, obstruction yeah. of Congress. When I first looked at that, I thought this is the much stronger Article really? because, because the Cipollone letter, I looked at it and I said, this is outrageous. Nobody, no president has ever taken this, <laughs> this kind of a position. I'm not going to, you're not going to get any documents. You're not going to get any witnesses. But then when I, when I understood the, the point of it, which is that it, uh, really, I didn't understand this until I read Chuck Cooper's letter about the, uh, when he filed the interpleader action. Mm -hmm. It was actually the interpleader action, not his letter that said to the court, uh, look, Congress has, has ordered me to do this. The president has ordered me to do this. I want you to decide. Tell me what to do, court, and, and I'll obey it. Oh, but by the way, there's this case law here that you should be aware of from the, going back to the Supreme Court that says Congress can't just issue subpoenas without authorization. And you come to look at it, and they started and they issued these subpoenas based on a press conference uh, from Nancy Pelosi. So this has got a lot of so. You know, no, no, no. It struck a, me a press a, conference and also the rules of the House that authorize the committees to issue subpoenas. So there, there's a vote at the beginning. There's a vote at the beginning of every Congress that gives them the right to authorize subpoenas. That the, the, the House's argument is that 
that no other body gets to, you know, we have we, we have lawful subpoenas. We voted at the beginning of Congress to authorize these these subpoenas. It doesn't really make any difference whether we've officially launched an impeachment inquiry or not. And by the no, way, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, though. Oh, that's not what they're saying. But because the problem with that is my understanding is that that I mean, I haven't looked at every single claim on either side, but my understanding was this was not part of the authorization that, you know, as part of your let, you know, legislate over regular oversight going toward legislation right. that when they sent the subpoenas is important because procedure is important. It was related to impeachment. This is pursuant to an impeachment inquiry. Um, you're you're right. All right. Uh, you, you can impeach a president. You can you can you can get up one day and go to the House and, and vote articles of impeachment without any hearing, without anything. They have the complete right to do it. The question is, if you're going to say you're abusing, you're, you're obstructing Congress by ignoring our subpoenas, and it turns out there's case law saying, you know what, these subpoenas are invalid, they get to raise that point. Look, this strikes me as a purely procedural debate that for the most Members of the well, public the just roll their eyes. Yeah, but that's and, what the Constitution is. You know, it's about procedure. It, it doesn't cut to any of the core on. issues. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, all right. I got a question. This is fascinating. What are you talking about? Questions for both of you. All right. First, uh, Weisenberg, you, uh, as the former deputy to Ken Starr, who in that capacity pushed for the impeachment of, uh, of Bill Clinton, uh, what did you make of Starr's uh, appearance in the trial, arguing about the uh, uh, lamenting the age of impeachment we're in and how uh, bad it is for the country that we have all these impeachments. This from the guy who pushed the last impeachment. Well, I think he has been since since the time of the renewal or the failure to renew the Independent Counsel Act. I mean, remember, he testified this is back in in 99 or 2000 against renewing that statute. So he's been very consistent Saying it's that, not the independent that, counsel statute, but what he was talking about is how terrible it is that we keep impeaching presidents. Well, but the independent counsel act is what had the low trigger for recommending impeachment. So, but he's I never. Would, I, I don't think he's ever revised his views at all on whether Bill Clinton should have been been impeached. No, he, no, he has the right he thing to do. Argue, I, I mean, I, I really don't want to have to impeach Bill Clinton, but I'm forced to because by the language of the threshold. independent counsel statute. That's not what I heard from him or you during that time well, period. In fact, that would have been a pretty effective thing for him to do if he had conceded that well, no. in the, arguing the, this case. Well, the issue <laughs> is, I'll get back to your question. I'm not trying to dodge it. But uh, <laughs> the remember, he, people say he recommended impeachment. He, a, he actually didn't. He had a statutory duty if he thought there may be grounds for impeachment. Oh, come on. To, you guys wrote it. a several hundred page report <laughs> arguing right. the case and, for impeachment. And no, we said there may be grounds for <laughs> yeah. impeachment. Oh, right. He did not. He did not come before. He didn't want to come before them and recommend right. impeachment. However, the issue to me isn't, uh, yeah, is there an inconsistency between his position now and then? Uh, you can say that there is, but uh, okay, that's, <laughs> there good is. For, there's, that's good for some. Yeah. titters or laughter. But the question is, what it, what is he saying? Let, let's look at what's the substance of what he is saying. And what he was really, really focusing on was this idea of a common law of, of presidential impeachment that is developed. He didn't go as far as Dershowitz went and, and, right. and saying uh, it never applied to, uh, it was only, only meant to apply to crimes, which is a ridiculous, ridiculous historical position. What he said is the way things have developed uh, every impeachment that we have had uh, involving a president has involved at least one allegation of an actual crime. So, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, that that is true, that that's been the historical case. And I always thought that was going to be a problem for the Democrats when they got to um, a, a Senate trial. But, Matt, the question for you is, what happens now? Does the House subpoena John Bolton and have him testify before the Intelligence Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee? Do, do they pursue this or do they... Let it, it slide. It is a great question, not just with respect to John Bolton, but with respect to uh, congressional oversight, really House oversight in general. What are they going to do for the next 10 months between now and the election? Are they going to move on to, yeah. to go back to a 90s Clinton term? Right. Um, or, or are they going to keep on with this? Especially and look, after Trump does something even more outrageous, yeah, well, well, that, well, that's the po- that, that is the point I was about All to you make. Have to do is yeah. wait. Yeah. Uh, that's the point. You know, it's, it's, you know, Schiff has brought up a lot. Everybody's discussed the fact that, of course, the call with Zelensky came the day after Mueller's testimony. And Trump is a classic re- recidivist. He's going right. abuse, to abuse his power again, for sure. I, I, I think there's going to be a strong sentiment inside the party to, not unanimous, but a strong sentiment to go back to legislating. Mm-hmm. which really means passing bills in the House that don't pass the Senate. And Democrats will want to keep passing bills that they can I, put pre- pressure on Republicans and spend the next year doing that and leading the elect- election talking about health care. I-, I think that would be a massive mistake. I think they ought really, to, go I think, to, to go back to legislating. Because yeah, I no, think no, that's a, I, because I think it's a false dichotomy. I think you can do all, right. you can pass all your bills. They're going to pass the House but and go the to investigating and you can also takes use, up all the oxygen. It, I mean, if you're, the problem is Donald is Trump takes Trump, up all the oxygen well, already. Right. Passing, but, le, passing a health care bill in the, in the House does not take up, does not but, take oxygen away from Donald but, Trump. But you're playing into Trump's hands because I, he is going to be out there every but, day. You know, they didn't get me on Mueller. Look, they didn't get me on Ukraine. And now they're continuing. I, I will say two things. Number one, House Republicans used their majority in, in Congress in the 2016 election. They treated it like a kamikaze mission to sink the Democratic nominee for president. And they were successful. The email, the email scandal does not become public without the Benghazi investigation. Jim Comey, right. I don't think, they does what he does. They stumbled into that. Sure, they stumbled yeah. in, but that's yeah. what happens when you put the pressure, pressure yeah. on the other side. You stumble into scandals you didn't right. know exist. Number two, if you believe, as I believe, that Trump is going to abuse a pow- his power again, let's not forget that without Schiff's oversight, Trump gets away with this. They, yeah. Schiff didn't just expose this to the American public. He stopped Zelensky by, by you know, publicizing the whistleblower's complaint and saying he was going to investigate. He stopped Zelensky from holding that press conference. Zelensky had announced that press conference into Biden. Biden would have never gotten out from under that cloud. And I think you know, Democrats are going to have to use their oversight power to, to uncover uh, uh, future wrongdoing, which I think will happen, and also to, to tell bureaucrats inside the government, not the political appointees, but y- y- don't do this. We're watching. So and you, come forward and blow the whistle. So if you are advising Schiff and whatever, whatever other you know, committee chairs who are you know, doing oversight, and you may be doing that, What's the playbook? How do you um, keep your foot on on the president's neck and use the playbook that Schiff developed in in his Ukraine oversight in every other investigation that committees use, um, which means don't just subpoena the high level officials that you know aren't going to come. Subpoena mid-level officials who take their oath a little more seriously and maybe don't like the president and want to come forward and talk and are worried about a contempt referral in a future administration where Bill Barr is not the attorney general. do that with all the investigations. Look, there's a, there's a great, great example. There's a story a couple of days ago in Politico about the allies of the White House handing out cash to voters <laughs> at events. 
What? Yeah. Send a subpoena to that group. Shut it down. By yeah. sending subpoenas, you shut things yeah. like that but down. But on the other hand, and, you know, look, they've taken their best shot and they've failed, right? They, they could they not. They failed to remove him. They, they failed didn't fail to, to stop him. this scheme so, from happening. But the threat of impeachment is the ultimate you know, club they've got in conducting investigations of this kind, because otherwise the White House is going to say, the, screw you, the, you know, from the get go. Yeah, what are you going to do to us? Impeach us? Well, the thing I didn't say, well, first of all, that's not true for the mid-level officials. As I mentioned, that was a right. huge success right. for Schiff to get all those people to come forward. And they're the, the, the Bill Taylor, the Bill Taylors, uh, the right. George Kins, Hill, all right, those okay. people who came forward over the administration's objection. The other thing I think they have to do is they have to litigate the hell out of their subpoenas in a way that they haven't so far. Obviously, they dropped the the Kupperman subpoena, the McGann subpoena. They took three months to go to court um, yeah. uh, to, to protest. It was crazy. They, it, it was, was crazy. crazy. It, it, it made no sense. It was crazy. Um, and I, I think, look, they need to kill the the uh, complete immunity privilege dead once and for all. I mean, that, that thing, which yeah. has been used by administrations of both parties, Congress needs to litigate that all the way up and, and try to kill it dead. Yeah. But, um, and and you well, know, that's that, still live right now, right? It is still yeah. It's before yeah, the, the yeah. DC Circuit. So but, I think it. W I think it will be. But let's not forget. Um, and I speak to Matt, a MSNBC contributor, the impact of cable news in driving this process. Because yes, the, the Pelosi and the House moderates and leadership may want to get back to legislating for political reasons, but you have this fired up base who are just furious right now watching MSNBC and CNN and you know ready to you know march with pitchforks on the Capitol over uh, this cover-up and um, you know the cable stations will continue to play to that base because that's what keeps their Gotta numbers the up and members will keep going on and it'll whip people up into a continued frenzy right through Election Day you know, that, that really? that's fine if you're Democrats. And to this point about playing into Trump's hands, the thing we haven't talked about is that there will be a Democratic presidential nominee. It's not the worst thing in the world for the House of Representatives to be going after Trump aggressively on oversight. And they don't have to be over the top about it. There are lots of legitimate right. things to so investigate. You're, you're, so and, let, and let the nominee be out talking so, about health care and everything okay, else. Well, so that's you're what calling for political right? investigations, right? No, absolutely, we should absolutely have no, political no, investigations by the don't, House. You don't to have to be as partisan and over the top as I believe. And I'm yeah. sure Saul would dispute this. But, yeah. but as I believe House Republicans are. There are lots of targets of opportunity. The yeah. administration's relationship with Saudi Arabia, how Jared Kushner got his security clearance, this Couldn't cash for vote scheme. That. You yes. can go on and down right. the list and yes. find things that you yeah. don't have to have witch hunts. These are yeah. real legitimate things to investigate. Well, what was it that, what was it, what did people think it was that changed Nancy Pelosi? Uh, because she clearly had made the decision that we're not going to do impeachment and had said you can't have, a, you can't have it with such an a evenly divided country. Was it just the substance of what was revealed? Or, yeah, or, it was. I it was. It was I think it was. It shocked the conscience, the, right? The I mean, it was something well, that was really, that it, or was it also the base saying now? Well, both. Well, yeah, well now they read the it's phone both, call, yeah. read the yeah. transcript. It was like, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, there he is. Was, He'd actually saying it. It's the brazenness of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it was her. When I say the base, I'm talking about the people like uh, AOC saying, you know, she would have had a, a revolt on her hands. And, and also it was it was something different. But, you know, it, was, it goes back to stuff you talked about. If it's easy for me to say because I'm not a politician, but I mean, the Mueller report, the obstruction section of the Mueller report, in my opinion, the first section was a was an almost complete exoneration of the president. But the obstruction section 
that conduct was outrageous. Whether you think it's a crime or not was outrageous. And that certainly would have justified an impeachment inquiry. And if they had just started that, they could maybe done it low key. If it started that, you could have started the litigation process. Well, you, you, you've argued here today that it, that it was the obstruction uh, part of the Mueller report and the obstruction of Congress article in the uh, uh, Ukrainian case. Those are the two most serious things, that those both had legs. So maybe the impeachment should have just been an obstruction case. Well, I think that the, I think that the uh, problem, if they had, they had dotted their I's and crossed their T's, which would have been very easy to do, I think then they would have had a very, uh, if the Trump administration had continued to be stonewalling, I think it would have been very, very strong, the obstruction of Congress. But the obstruction of part of the Mueller report, not only for what it shows, not only for what it shows about obstructing the investigation, again, not necessarily a violation of criminal law, except for the McGahn stuff we've talked about before, but the what it shows about the president, uh, about his behavior Forget about anything else. When he finds out that Mueller has been appointed and everybody tells him, person after person, you've got to not fire him. You've got to not do this. He cannot control himself. Him, he, he's unable to control himself. Well, it's, it's, it, it would have made, it, it, it is something that if it had been done as part of an impeachment inquiry would have been totally valid. And I think it was a missed opportunity. Okay, so final question for both of you. Um, Schiff, said over and over again that um, that we had to impeach the president because if we don't, he's going to do it again. If we don't call him out on what he's done, on this conduct, he'll do in this something. Com- in this upcoming worse. election. In, the in this election. upcoming election. So what is now that Trump has is going to get off, is going to be able, well, he will claim vindication, exoneration, whatever um, but he's going to say. Um, what, will, what will that open the door to him doing now? I think it's hard to imagine an abuse of power that Trump wouldn't commit to, to secure re-election. And, and I go back, it's not just the, the, the Ukraine piece. Um, the story that hasn't really been investigated by the House in, in a serious way, the story of, of, of last fall that he was walking around telling people inside the Department of Homeland Security, you know, I want the wall built, fine, blow through eminent domain, blow through all the rules and regulations, and don't worry, if you break a law, I'll pardon you, yeah. is, a, is a massive <laughs> abuse of power. And, yeah. and that's connected. If it's true. If it's true, that's right. Well, that's yeah. what I mean, the House ought to investigate. That is a massive, would, would be a massive abuse of power and is tied to his reelection. He wants the wall because he thinks it's a prom- promise right. he made. It is a promise he made. He wants it completed. Um, but I think kind of to, Saul, to Saul's point, he can't really control himself. And yes, I think he'll be somewhat emboldened because the inquiry is over and he kind of got away with it. He didn't get removed from office. But had they not impeached him, he still would have kept doing the same thing because he can't control himself. It's just who he is. Um, and, and that goes to my point of why I think the Democratic House has to be so aggressive in trying to police misconduct in the administration, because otherwise, it, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for so what it's he about would do. restraining him. It's about restraining him, and not so much. Re- it's re- you can't restrain him. I don't think you can restrain the people inside the government that he relies on to carry out some of his wishes. Hopefully, well, yeah. You never know what'll happen. I, I have a totally different view, for example, of Bill Barr than everybody on the Democratic side. I think he's an outstanding attorney general, and I think he's there 
trying to protect, uh, you know, trying to be uh, a loyal attorney general and 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 carry out the president's policies. But I think he's actually there to protect the department and to make sure that to try to make sure that that President Trump doesn't do anything improper. You never know; he may do something. Uh, he may do something. The president that causes Barr. To resign, you, you never know. What well, the Bolton happen. book suggests that he was that Trump was trying to meddle in uh, cases involving Turkey um, and, and China. And, and, and China. Yeah, Barr has made it and, very clear. I had nothing to do with with uh, it's completely false. I had that. I, well, I had nothing to do with the par, the Parnas ridiculous Parnas claim. You know, he says I've, I never met with Barr, but believe me he uh, i'm sure that he t you know was involved in the ukraine mess he's, he's made it, clear, it, he's made it clear five or six seven times he yeah. had nothing to do with that right. he's so, run for that but, but that's important because yeah, he's, absolutely. Yeah, and he's and he's apparently warned <laughs> well, trump about rudy you know? we we've, we've known Barr for 30 years we've yeah. covered him we yeah. we you know uh, uh, he's a fascinating guy he's fun was fun to cover if trump crosses a line like that in terms of trying to influence an investigation improperly bill Barr resigns over that uh, if, if Bill Barr says to the president, you can't do that, and he, and he still does it, I think absolutely he resigns. And I think, uh, I think it'll, be, it'll be devastating. Well, one, uh, one thing he can do, and this will be my sort of final prediction, uh, although it may not be exhaust all the things Trump will do now, is we will see pardons soon. Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, possibly, and, and, uh, and Flynn. You don't. Know, you're not saying no. You don't think he'll do well if he loses. If he loses, yeah, I don't think. I don't think before election yeah. day he'll do well, it. Well, yeah, it'll be coordinated with a report from John Durham that will. Uh, you know, but what about the five hundred elephant in the room here? What's that? Which is, you know, has Trump is has, has President Trump as kind of unrestrained and lawless as apparently we all think that he is? Has he done anything that compares to the abuse of power? in the FISA uh, process, anything. All right. Well, that's a whole other discussion, <laughs> yeah. which we want to have that conversation, have, but 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 we don't have time. For but don't it now. think that I mean, don't think that won't be an issue, yeah. too. Yeah. You know, that the Trump people put in. I mean, so much is going to depend on to me as I just sit here. So much is going to depend upon who on a lot of these questions, who uh, who's a Democratic candidate, you know, for president, because mm -hmm. um, all these things we're talking about, how the senators will be hurt in their reelection. If you get a complete uh, whack job as the candidate, then all bets are Who might that be? Something all we right. agree on. <laughs> all, <laughs> right. We agree on. Um, all right, guys, we will uh, have you back as these events play out. Thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. Thanks to former federal prosecutor and deputy independent counsel Saul Weisenberg, MSNBC justice and security analyst Matt Miller, and Republican strategist Mike Murphy for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Talk to you soon.